And the worst part about it is like, I know that I live a pretty good life. I feel like I should be happy, right? I, I've got these different things going on. I've wrote the book. I've, I'm in a good job. I'm in a, uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends and whatnot, but like I, I couldn't, it was, it was one of those things where it was like, I had dealt with depression in, in college and I kind of felt as though I had, I maybe hadn't like, I don't know if figured that one out is the right word, but I had gotten past it where it was like that, that had, it had been at that point, like six years since my last like episode with depression. So I was like, I kind of just expected it to never come back. Right. And so here I am like 2018 being like, I figured out this whole mental health thing and then getting ready to publish the book and being like, oh my God, like, I feel like such a fraud. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. My guest this week is the awesome Brian Sacchetta. Brian is a longtime buddy of mine. I had him on the show way back on episode 77, uh, just after he released his first book, which was called Get Out of Your Head, A Toolkit for Living With and Overcoming Anxiety. Um, and now having him on again, um, as he just released his latest book called Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating the Abyss of Depression. Um, what I love about Brian is he is just so open about sharing his experiences and his struggles. Um, and he's a guy, he's a super successful software developer. Um, he doesn't need to be writing these books, uh, but he wants to, and he wants to share his experiences and, and help people. Um, and I just so admire him for this, and I'm sure this book uh, will be as impactful, if not more, uh, than his first one. Um, so we talk all about his new book and why it came as a surprise after a tough time in his life, um, what depression is, and how to determine if it is depression or it's just like part of life, um, how COVID and climate change has increased depression around the world, um, why our ancestral brains are not designed for today's way of life, the increasing importance of human connection, what lifestyle changes we can make to overcome depression, and why all emotions, the negative, the positive, they're all part of leading a happy life. This is an awesome conversation with an awesome guy um, and a good buddy of mine, and uh, we just kind of chop it up and have a honest conversation about our thoughts on on these topics so i know there's things you can take away please follow brian get the book if it's something uh that interests you or something that um you're dealing with yourself um and yeah i will see you guys on the next episode without further ado the one and only brian sachetta Right, I have the Brian Sachetta uh, back on the line. I was looking at, I was looking, man. You were episode seventy-seven. Uh, so people that are longtime followers of the show maybe remember Brian. Uh, we did the first episode back when we uh, I had just opened Rewild in Quincy, and we did it there. Um, and you had just released uh, your first book which was uh, Get Out of Your Head, right? Yep. And now we are on to book number two um, that we're going to chat all about today and super excited to have you. I know the first one 
um, all about anxiety was extremely popular. Still one of the more popular episodes just because like that, that's a subject I rarely talk about on here. And, um, people definitely connected with it and and related to you and your story. So fired up to have you back, man, and, uh, ready to, ready to jump in. Awesome. And I'm definitely glad to be back. It does feel like a while ago. I actually, before I jumped on, I was like, let me listen to that episode a little bit and just try to get it in the same headspace and see where we were at. That was definitely a long time ago. So, uh, some things to catch up on for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 2018, end of 2018, I believe it it was. Um, so here we are. So anyway, man, so first book was all about kind of anxiety and in your path a lot. I remember us talking about, um, so why, why the second book and, and tell us what it is and kind of what people can expect as well. Yeah, definitely. So I'll, I have the books I can show them for folks that will be on the video. So the first book, uh, this one here, I've actually rebranded it or like redone the cover. Uh, I can talk about everything that's behind that. Um, but so um, the first one is called Get Out of Your Head, a Toolkit for Living with and Overcoming Anxiety. The second one, uh, which actually came out last week, is Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating the Abyss of Depression. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a heavy book. It's emotionally, it's also like, a, you know, the, the title itself is a little bit like, it's, it's also heavy, right? I, when I talk to folks about it, it's like, sometimes I, I want to make sure that I'm striking the balance of like, taking this thing seriously enough, um, providing help to folks and, and whatnot, but also like, I don't want to be too, too overwhelming where it's like, I, you know, I call it the abyss of depression and that's, that's how it materializes to me. That's what, how it makes sense in my mind. But I also, it was tough. I was like, at times I was like, do I name it something else? Because I don't want to scare folks away, like off the jump. Right. So basically the journey for this one was, it was unexpected, honestly. And, um, you know, when I wrote my first book, it was like, I've dealt with anxiety for eight to 10 years of my life. I came up with all these different strategies for myself, either through like just kind of brainstorming them on my own or like reading a different book, a blog post or a journal article. And over the course of those eight to 10 years, I was basically going out and sort of like AB testing different ideas, right? So it was like, all right, I'm going to an interview today. This one guy I read a few weeks ago told me to try this. So I'd go to the interview and I'd try this specific strategy. And then two weeks later, I'd go to another interview. I'd try something different, something that I read in a different blog or book or whatever, right? And so along the course of those years, I'm trying to say to myself, like, what is it that works for me? What what are these strategies help me feel a little bit less anxious? Um, Which ones just bring me more calm, you know, get me out of my head? All sorts of different ways to describe that, right? And so eventually... I have enough notes written down where I was like, okay, these were my experiences. These were some of the insights I had. I had um, probably like 20 pages worth of notes just on my own experiences and then obviously combining it with some of the research that I did. But so I sat down, I wrote the first book. So that was 2018. That got released about three years ago. And then right around the same time that I was releasing that book, it was it was one of those like experiences to me. Like I talk, I, I give this entire, I... I, t- I talk about this entire journey in the second book, but it was, it was really interesting to me. And honestly, it was like kind of terrifying. Uh, it was like, I wrote the first book. I sit down. I'm like, okay, the manuscript is done. I should be like so excited about this accomplishment, right? I'm, I'm ready to share my insights with the world. I feel like I've figured all of this stuff out, quote unquote, right? Uh, you know, in reality, do we ever have it all figured out? I am I, not really sure. Um, but it was like, I want to share those things with the world. I feel like I've made this major accomplishment. And yet I'm sitting down at, at my desk and I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I am so miserable right now. Like I am like this deep, dark depression has come over me. 
And the worst part about it is like, I know that I live a pretty good life. I feel like I should be happy, right? I, I've got these different things going on. I've wrote the book. I've, I'm in a good job. I'm in a, uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends and whatnot, but like I, I couldn't, it was, it was one of those things where it was like, I had dealt with depression in, in college and I kind of felt as though I had, I maybe hadn't like, I don't know if figured it, that one out is the right word, but I had gotten past it where it was like that, that had, it had been at that point, like six years since my last like episode with depression. So I was like, I kind of just expected it to never come back. Right. And so here I am like 2018 being like, I figured out this whole mental health thing and then getting ready to publish the book and being like, oh my God, like, I feel like such a fraud, you know, I'm putting this information out there, trying to tell folks. And obviously the subject is different, right? Anxiety and depression, they are related, but they're also different. But I was like, I'm about to publish this book. And I am like, I'm in such a dark place mentally right now. Like I almost feel like it almost feels inauthentic to publish it, but I know I have to do it anyway. And so it was like, so that was like, that would have been about September of 2018. The book came out in December of 2018. And then for the next like six months, it was like a really, really tough time for me just um, and again, it's, uh, I want to make sure that I strike the right balance here where like depression is depression, no matter what it is, right? It, it, there are very, there are multiple different forms of it, right? So you could deal with like seasonal affective disorder, postpartum depression, bipolarism. There are a, a lot of different manifestations of it. But I think the message is that like, no matter how, like, no matter which version of the disease you're dealing with or how that manifests or how it like comes into your life, you know, uh, I guess the threshold, right? Like you may lose somebody that's really special to you in your life. And that could cause you to fall into a depression. You may also just have like the predispositions in your mind. Like your brain is kind of predisposed to the, the, I, I don't know if right or wrong is, is, is the right, um, term to use, but like the, the neurotransmitter makeup of your brain may dispose you to depression more, um, even if your life seems pretty good, right? And so there's all sorts of different ways that you can fall into depression. I want to make sure like a tough thing about writing the book was like, I wanted to make people like let people know, like, I do have a pretty good life. And I'm not like here complaining, like I'm not, oh, poor me, like yada, yada, yada. It was more like, this is just something that I'm dealing with for one reason or another. And the only thing that I know how to do is continue to press forward and then try to make sense of my experiences. Right. And so for the next six months, it was basically like, just put my head down, nose to the grindstone. Like, I don't know if that, again, I don't know if that's the right term either, but it was like, really just like work through this thing. It's really painful. Like talk to the right people um, and just see where I come out on the other side of it. It was one of those things also where like I had been obviously pretty vulnerable in writing the first book is like, not everybody wants to talk about anxiety. Not everybody wants to share their experiences of like being worried to go on a first date or something like that. Right. Like as a dude, it's like in our culture, it's like, somebody might be like, oh, you're, you're a wimp. Like, you know, like different, different things that come out when you are vulnerable. So it's difficult to, to put yourself out there sometimes. And so when I'm dealing with uh, this, you know, this uh, depressive episode, I'm thinking to myself, like, I mean, I guess I could, I could do it again. I could talk about, you know, these struggles once again in, in a different light here uh, or, you know, talking about depression rather, rather than anxiety. But I was a little bit more apprehensive about this one just because I don't know, for some reason, it's like, it feels like, yeah, everybody has the, their, their doubts and their worries and their fears, right? So anxiety, it's like, especially in a high stress world, it's like, it kind of makes sense to say like, uh, you, you could make the almost like impersonal, like, hey, here I am, I do experience anxiety, but like you could detach yourself from it enough to be like, I'm not like, you know, don't put bad labels on me or whatever, right? Whereas depression is still has, I think it has more of a stigma around it in, in society than anxiety does. So I was a little bit worried to put the, you know, to really think about like writing the second book. But it's one of those things I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and he was like, 
he, he kind of asked me like, oh yeah, you know, what, what chose you, like what, what, what led you to choose to write the book? And I was like, dude, I, I know this is going to sound corny, but like, I did not choose this book. This book chose me. Like this was like six months of hell. Uh, and honestly, like, you know, there's again, with the different forms of depression, like something that I deal with is dysthymia, which is basically low grade depression for like anywhere from, you know, a year to two years to three years. It depends on the person, right? It's like, there are really good days. There are really bad days. Um, uh, and all in between. And it was kind of like going through that experience of like those emotions for a long, long time. That is what pushed me to write this book. Uh, I mean, the, the confluence of like COVID and everybody being locked down, obviously that came after 2019. So after like the majority of what I wrote about had, had passed, but at the same time, it was like a lot of people now understand depression uh, maybe, maybe not like, you know, on a technical level, but they understand it on a physical and emotional level a lot more so than they did in 2018, 2019, just because of, you know, when you are secluded, like you are a much uh, greater risk of depression. So it was like that, that in some ways that kind of helped me be like, Hey, I'll, you know, this is coming into the spotlight a little bit more. I feel like it's a little bit, I don't know. It, it's a little bit more okay to talk about. I wanted a little bit more of an excuse just because it's like, you know, you really have to put your soul out there when you're talking about these things and, and say like, Hey, hand up. This is something that I deal with. It totally sucks. Like you can call me any name in the book. You can call me a wimp. You can call me a, uh, whatever, but like, I'm just going to give it to you straight. This is what I deal with. Um, these are the strategies that I figured out as I went along through this thing. And then also like the tone of this book is basically like solidarity, right? It's like, Hey, Let's get through this thing together. It's going to totally stink. Um, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. Like we're going off on this journey together, right? There's the, the metaphorical, like on the front cover, there's a boat. So we're sailing together through the, the difficult journey of anxiety. Um, and I just wanted to provide, you know, that kind of compassion and solidarity to folks to be like, it's going to be really hard. I like, I have no idea what you've been through, but like, let's, let's do our best to get through it if we can. I love it. I love it. So my question as you're talking, right, is, is kind of like, when does it become depression, right? Like I come from a family of, you know, my mom was a nurse. I have sisters that are nurses, aunts that are nurses, uh, uncles that are doctors. Like I come from a medical family and everybody's always diagnosing, right? Everything's a freaking diagnosis to the point where sometimes it drives me nuts because like I think a lot of things and where I certainly tend to gravitate towards first is like a lot of, a lot of things are just like part of life. Um, and then we, we put these like labels on them. Um, and I think it can go down a path that is not ideal for the person when you keep, when, when you tell a person that is struggling, for example, that they have bipolar disorder, they have depression, right? It's almost like kicking somebody when they're down. Um, I think it maybe can also relieve the person where they're like, okay, well, at least now I know, or like, okay, that makes sense. But um, I guess my question is like, at what point in your opinion do you think like, you know, uh, anxiety and feeling down and hopelessness and helplessness and all these things actually become depression in like, or, or at what point is it just like part of the human experience? You know, what yeah. point is it diagnosed? I guess, you know, it's, it really is. It's a great question. And it's a tough question. I mean, mm -hmm. if we want to be like medical about it, right. We could go to the DSM five and we could look in there and they have the criteria for like, 
doing the diagnoses, right? But I think your question is more like before we rush to some sort of technical book or um, workbook, whatever it is, right? Before we, we, we go to the documentation that says like, hey, here's exactly what you need before you can say that you are depressed or before a doctor could diagnose it, right? It's so hard. I think, I think there is a, there's a, again, it's like this concept of balance, which I also talk about. There's like an individual chapter in the book of like striking balances in life. And it's such a broad topic that like, it, again, it's going to sound corny if I don't actually go into the details, but it's like finding balance is really important. And I think here it's like, we have to be able to, you know, it's, it's almost like through your life experiences, you almost have to be able to develop this filter in your mind to be like, this is, this breaks the threshold of being able to, uh, for me to be able to say that, you know, I can deal with this, or this is just a part of life. This is below the threshold where I know that this, is, this doesn't qualify as anxiety, depression, whatever it is. I think if we want to leave like the technical stuff on the, t- like, if we want to leave that behind and we just want to have like a, you know, a, a basic person to person conversation around like, how do, how do we really know? Right. I think, I think the, the most basic measure is like, is what you are dealing with preventing you from living a normal life or what you would consider to be normal or the life that you want to lead. Right. So when it's depression, right. If, if you literally cannot get out of bed, if you cannot go to work, if you can't go to specific functions, whatever, it is that you need to do uh, in order to lead a relatively normal life. I think it, I think it warrants being able to say without even a doctor's note or uh, a prescription or whatever, right? Like at that point, something is going on that you need to address. Does, does that kind of resonate with you? Or does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Th- that definitely makes sense. And I, and I like that. I, I think like it's such a, such a fine line um, in determining that, right? Um, like, like, why can't that person get out of bed? You know, why can't, you know, like it, it, it's such a, I guess you'll, you'll never be in the, in the individual shoes and, and, and you really don't know. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Like I, I am of the belief, like, um, not specifically with depression or anything, but I think like we jump too soon, uh, to, uh, diagnose people when I think like they can make changes. And I, I know that's something we're going to talk about is kind of like the, the changes you can make to help uh, kind of overcome these things to the best of your ability. Um, but yeah, I think it's just such a, uh, I guess it comes back to what you were saying. It, it, it's like a self-awareness thing. And, you know, based on your life experience, you realize when, okay, this isn't just a, t- this isn't just a, I'm down for a few days or I'm down for a week, you know, something is overtaking me here that is kind of beyond my ability to effectively um, respond. Is that fair? Exactly. And, and I think like me not being a doctor or medical professional, I think that's like the best that I can say. I mean, I, I would totally. obviously, I would also add like, you know, if you're ever in doubt, go talk to your doctor, right? Um, they will give you what, what they are more qualified on this subject than I am. Um, so, so don't be afraid to talk to that person at the same time, um, kind of the analogy you just gave of like, you know, experiences and knowing what meets the threshold and whatnot, the thing that we've been talking about. I was talking on a different podcast a few weeks ago, and I kind of ma- made a similar analogy where it's like, I like to run. I'll go for a three mile run, usually once a week or whatever. Right. And no, I can't even think of the last run that I went on that had like, that was totally pain-free. Right. You know, you get some sort of a small cramp. Um, so, you know, your, your airway clogs up, you get a, uh, some sort of 
like either your feet hurt, it's cold out, you get a muscle strain, something like that. And it's like, I've been on enough runs where I can say to myself, okay, what I'm measuring right now or what I'm experiencing right now, I have this gauge and I can say, this is, this is a, a small enough pain or a pain that is below the threshold and I can keep running through it. Or this pain is something that like, I know I got to stop running, right? Like I could, I could injure myself. And so it's just one of those things where it does come down to personal experience. And then also, yeah, like, again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle too many feathers. Like, you know, if uh, it, it's also important to talk to your doctors, if you feel like it, like that warrants that definitely do that. Uh, but just on this, this basic premise of like, if you're going out running, right. It's like, we, like, you have to trust your own experience and your own intuition to be able to say like, I've been through X, I've been through Y, this is greater or less than X or Y. Um, and based off of that, I'm going to make a certain uh, decision. Uh, if I don't know that, I think that's kind of the, like the easiest way to put it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And I, I admittedly will, I, I'm probably so far the other direction of like, everything is in your control. Like that's always like my mindset. I just believe like I'm always in control. Um, and, and I know that's not everybody's mindset or everybody's experience for sure. And there's certainly times that I have not been in control. Um, but I always like default to that just because it like empowers myself, you know? Definitely. Um, so tell us, um, you mentioned, you mentioned COVID. Um, I know in the book, you also mentioned um, climate change, which I thought was really interesting. Can we dive into that a little bit and kind of how that um, kind of all correlates? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, I think it's a relevant topic for, for the podcast and for the audience. So I'll try to get back a little bit into the journey of the book itself, what I was experiencing as I was like coming up with the content and just this depressive episode that I was going through was, again, I, I used the word confluence, right? It was like, it was kind of all these different things coming together at once. And so, um, you know, one of them was like, uh, it was basically, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell the story just because I think it could be compelling. And also it, it will be sort of repeated in the, in the book if, if folks pick it up. But so um, one of the first things was like, I went to, uh, there's a, there's a fair at my, um, uh, in the town where my parents live, there's a the fa uh, fair that happens every year it's called the Topsfield fair. I'm sure a lot of folks that listen that are local will be familiar with it. And so I, I went with my family, um, this same year, right. And it, it was one of these like whirlwind experiences where, you know, just kind of like all the memories of being at the fair over the years come rushing back to you. And you sort of like see your life almost flash uh, before your eyes a little bit, right? And it was this spookiness where it was like, I was with my nephew, my nephew, I'm taking the, him on the carousel. I'm like, holy crap, like my parents took me on this carousel. And like, you know, I remember when they took me on, I was five years old and he's five years old or whatever the ages are, right? And so it was just one of those like, and again, it, um, I guess kind of to get back to what, or mention what you had said earlier was like, you know, uh, when do we put the label on? Like, this is uh, a specific medical condition versus like just part of life or whatever it is. I will say, honestly, like a lot of what I went through, I think is a part of life, but it, that doesn't make it any easier. Right. And so it was like, you know, I have this experience where I've just on a really emotional level, like felt as though life was like flying by. It was like, I was just at the fair with my parents, you know, 20 years ago, like where the heck did that time go? Uh, I get home from the fair that night. Uh, and, and, and it's, some of this is interweaving of different narratives, right? So uh, in the book, there's this concept that I uh, bring about, which is basically like when it comes to mental health, anxiety can lead you to depression. So if you are like constantly, constantly, constantly wound up, uh, you know, experiencing different stressors in your environment, like all the time, you could conceivably get to a point where you just say like, 
I can never stop all these stressors. I don't even know when the next one's going to come from. Uh, I don't know how to fight them or push back against them or deal with them or whatever, where you just fall into a state of like learned helplessness, right? You just say, no matter what I do, they're going to keep coming. So I'm just going to fall into this sort of depressed state. And so um, I tried to use that analogy in the story that I'm them weaving in the book, which was basically, so I come home from the fair, I get this uh, email from uh, basically a hacker that was trying to, he, he had, he had crafted this interesting and clever way to make me believe that he hacked into my computer. So he like emailed me my, the password to my Gmail account. And he's like, hey, does that look familiar? And I was like, oh my goodness, like that does look really familiar. Like what the heck is going on here, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like reading the rest of the email. And he's like, he's like, long and short, I hacked into your computer. I stole all your passwords. I record, I've been recording on your webcam for like days and days and days. I have all the, all the contacts from all your email accounts and hard drives and whatnot. He's like, it's like, if you don't send me $2,000 worth of cryptocurrency in the next 24 hours, uh, I'm going to leak a tape from your webcam of you going on adult, adult websites. I'm going to send it to everybody in your address book. So this is one of those moments where like, you know, it, it's funny. Don't get me wrong. It, I tell the story and I know that like, it is hilarious looking back on it. Right. Um, I know a lot of people will read it and get a chuckle out of it, but at the time I was so freaked out. Oh yeah. And so I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, like, you know, not, not necessarily like my life is over, but like, this is not, I'm going to have to deal with some, I'm, I'm going to have to deal with some damage uh, and do damage control for a long time. Here. Like this is bad. Like my parents are going to see me like doing things that they're going to be horrified, by, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it basically like the narrative of like anxiety can lead you to depression. I got myself in this really, really, really wound up state. And I was so worried uh, that, you know, basically my life was almost over here. And again, like it's, uh, it's so hard. I just got to take a second and basically say like, it's so hard to compare experiences, right? I'm not in, in me sharing this story, I'm not trying to say like, hey, what I've been through is worse than what any listener has been through. Like, I know that most of what I've been through has not been worse than listeners, right? Um, and I just want to say that, like, I think it, it's difficult when, if I don't make that disclaimer, it's kind of like somebody may listen and be like, oh, screw this guy. Like, he thinks he has a hard life. It's, you know, his, his life is easy, right? So I, I just want to say that, like, um, I, I know it's kind of a random on, on a tangent, but I, I just feel like I need to say that anyway. So kind of back to the story, right, was, um, so I'm super freaked out. Eventually, I like take some time. I use some of the strategies for my first book to calm myself down. I, uh, I do a, a deep breathing method where it's like box breathing. So you do like four in, hold for four, and then breathe out for four. So I did that for a few minutes. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, like if I can get myself out of this revved up state, I know that I can bring a little bit more logic without the fear to it. So I was like, let me do that. So I started breathing for a while. And then I was like, okay, somebody has to have dealt with this before. So let me go on Google and just you know type in the basic premise of the email that I got. And very quickly, I found that it was a scam, right? So basically what they would do is um, somebody would find, they would pay for like databases of like email addresses connected with pa passwords. And so at the time, you know, so if you wanted to try now, you, you would fail. But uh, um, so at the time I was, I was kind of an idiot and I was using the same password for multiple accounts across the internet. And so basically what the guy did was he bought a database that had my email address and the password and the email address associated with the password just had like, so basically the, the login credentials, like both the, the email and the password were the same for the account from which he got that data. I went from this really revved up scared state right into this article. And the dude was basically saying like, Hey, I just read the Na national climate assessment report, which basically said that in the next hundred years, like, you know, we're doing serious, serious damage to the world. Uh, the, the, we're basically preparing ourselves for catastrophe here or setting ourselves up for it. Like there's going to be 
large, large finan- financial ramifications and damages associated with it. Like people are going to get dis- displaced from their homes. Like possibly the earth is going to heat up like in a rapid and, and irreversible fashion to the point where like theoretically we could like, uh, I mean, he basically said like, you know, we could wipe mankind off the face of the earth. Right. And so I went from this like revved up scared state right into this article and I, and it was like midnight. Right. Which is like, if anybody's listening, like do not do the stuff before you go to bed, like put the, put the media away. It is, that is the worst place you can possibly be before you go to bed. Just like, just trust me on that one. If there's nothing else you take away from this conversation, trust me on that one. So I am sitting in my bed and I am freaking the F out. Like I am, this was one of like the worst feelings I've ever, ever felt. It was like, complete gloom and doom. Like everybody's dead. We're all dead. Like we messed up. Like life, life was almost over with the cryptocurrency thing a couple minutes ago. And now like, we're really like, not only are we all in trouble, but like our kids, our kids, kids, like generations, uh, you know, for generations to come, it's like, we may have irreversibly messed up the planet. And so I remember like, I didn't sleep at all that night. I basically went into, you know, this like hopeless, helpless mindset of basically like, we messed up the entire earth, right? I, what I will say was that that article really, really stuck with me. And it, it kind of sent me into this tailspin of like thinking about, you know, the significance of like our time on earth and the world in general and like how we could potentially wipe uh, humankind off the face of the earth. And like, and so it was like basically through all of those things that happened that day, the fair, the cryptocurrency, the article, it was like, I put myself in this very, very dark state uh, for the next like several weeks. And then it just continued, right? It was like, uh, there were other things that were going on in my life. I, I had just landed this job uh, that was like a remote first software development job. I thought it was going to me- be amazing. Turns out like a few weeks later, like I'm sitting at my kitchen table, twiddling my thumbs. Uh, meanwhile, I'm like, I thought it was going to be like the best thing ever, you know? So it's like expectations versus reality, huge gap there. And I didn't know how to make sense of that. And then I went out on this vacation with my friends and like, you know, the depression, like that I kind of kickstarted through all of these different things happening in my life really, really progressed. Like on that vacation, it was really difficult. And again, it's like, it's so hard to be like, I mean, it's part of, part of this is me being honest with my experiences. And part of this is also kind of being like, look, I get it. Like, you know, how much of this is the, the human experience or like just natural occurrences. I'm not entirely sure. There is some balance of that, right? I come back from this vacation that was, it was just challenging for me to get through. Um, luckily I was with my friends and that helped a lot, but I like, I spent so much time on that vacation just in like the depths of my mind. And um, that is one of the most difficult things, right? It's like, we don't even realize that we are way, way deep inside of our heads. It's like, no, I'm just being rational. I'm being logical. I'm thinking this thing through. And then like a week later, we're like, holy crap. I just ruminated on like the ideas of like the finitude of life and death for like a week in a row. No wonder I was so freaking miserable, mm-hmm. right? And so I get home and I was like, all right, I'm going to get home. Like I'll be, I feel, I'll feel a little bit safer. I won't be in a foreign country. Like, you know, I can go hang out with my parents or my brother if I need to or whatever. And, um, and I did feel a little bit better for a little while, but then like, uh, my grandmother actually passed away. And it was one of these, like, again, uh, a normal experience, like, you know, people do get older and they do pass away and she lived a wonderful life. Uh, I'm going to try not to cry. Honestly, she was like, my grandmother's like so, so special to me. Uh, but it was so difficult. It was like, before I went on this vacation, I, vi- I, I visited her a lot, uh, at her nursing home and she dealt with dementia and it was like seeing somebody that you love just kind of like degrade, um, and almost like evaporate in front of you. It was like one of those experiences that it's like, how could you not be depressed if you experienced that? Right. She was the last time that I saw her like for real, she was, uh, it was, it was literally heartbreaking. She was just like, I'm so, so tired. Like I just, 
I, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. You know, like I just, I want to go to bed, but like, it wasn't like, I want to go to bed, bed. It was like, I want to like be done bed. And I was, I was legit. Like I was so heartbroken. And uh, again, just like adding all these things together, it was a really, like, it was a really difficult period in my life. And it was kind of like, again, um, there's the events and then there's what we do with them. And so for, for months and months and months, it was me just uh, continuing to be in the depths of my mind, to rehash these ideas that were not productive and positive for me. Um, and so along that journey, I was like, look, I really don't feel well. I need to figure out how I'm going to get through this one. So I started again, I started reading more books, started reading more journal articles, consuming all this different content. And it was somewhere around like the six month mark through this journey that it was like, Hey, I know that I said, like, I wrote that one book and uh, I feel good about it. And I shared my insights with the world or whatever, but like this journey is not done. And like the get out of your head journey is definitely not done. We're writing another book. We're going to help more people. And I'm not trying to be over dramatic with it, but that was like, that was the only thing I knew how to do to be like, Hey, I'm going to turn this difficult experience in my life. I'm going to try to make something positive out of it. It's not one of those like, Hey, worst moment of your life becomes the best moment of your life. None of that like cheesy stuff. It was just like, that's all I know how to do. That's like, I'm going to try to make sense of this thing, share my insights with the world. And then, you know, it was like with the first book, a lot of folks did reach out and they let me know how it affected them in a positive way. And those messages, like, that's why I write the books. That's why I write my blogs is the only reason I keep doing it. Um, and I was like, look, I have these experiences. I have these understandings. Like I'm going to share those with folks in hopes that I can help them get through some of the things they're going through. Because I mean, anxiety is very, very difficult. Uh, and depression is very, very difficult. But like the combination of the two, it can be, it can be so, so like, so brutal. And also like, I mean, depression is just, it is a, it's a beast. It is an absolute behemoth. And um, I know I'm kind of rambling and I've talked a lot and whatnot, but that was the entire journey. If I go back into the climate change stuff, right. It was basically like along uh, the six months in actually, it was kind of sooner than that, but I, I saw like, okay, I read this article. I saw how we're messing up the planet. And I said to myself, again, I do the, a lot of these like calculations in my mind where I basically said like, okay, if we are messing up the planet and if I am contributing to it and I am feeling bad about that, then what I have to do is I have to like relive, you know, change my life around so that at the very least, the things that I do, I don't feel bad about like contributing to global warming, pollution, um, whatever it may be. So uh, (laughs) I know it's going to sound a little crazy, but ran out, bought an electric car, uh, started composting all my food, started flying less, um, trying to think of some of the other things I do. I like, try to live a zero zero waste lifestyle. I recycle, compost, just about everything that I uh, that I can get my hands on. I try to eat at restaurants where either like they serve in compostable containers um, or like the food is renewable or whatever. And and then also very importantly, it's like I uh, I'd say I eat probably like a ninety nine point five percent plant based lifestyle. I mean, I'll have a piece of pizza once a month. That's it. So I feel like this long, long winded thing that I just put out was basically to say, if you feel as though, you know, global warming affects you and your mental health and you want to do something about it, then, then potentially not like, you know, not in a medical sense, but, um, from a, like a pure, uh, on like, a intuition or like in your, like in your mind, right. You could theoretically say to yourself, I am going to live a plant-based lifestyle, a, a, a cruelty lifestyle, cruelty-free lifestyle that doesn't affect other people and doesn't affect other organisms and beings. Uh, and I'm going to use that as some way of combating my depression, right? Um, the last thing I'll say on this subject was kind of just like, even though none of my experiences were terribly, terribly unique, like to me, right? Those are much of what I talked about was just human experiences that most people probably go through. In, the, in those moments of suffering, it's like, 
if you've been through it, I, I think I think a lot of people can resonate with this, right? It's like you look at somebody like Robin Williams or something, right? It's like he 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 seemed like the nicest, most compassionate guy in the world. He was funny. Uh, you know, you, there's stories of him helping out communities and stuff like that. Obviously, you don't know where everybody comes from, and maybe people have been through different things or whatever. But I would like to believe, and and I do believe on a fundamental level, that the most compassionate people are probably the ones who've been through a lot themselves, right? Because they see the suffering and they mm. understand it on a fundamental level. And so for me, it was like, again, I'm not trying to like paint myself as this like special figure or anything like that, but it was just, um, I experienced a lot, a lot of suffering as, as I went through that battle um, for one reason or another. And I said to myself, like, I am doubling down on, on this plant-based lifestyle and this cruelty-free lifestyle, not only because I think it helps uh, contribute less to global warming, but also because I know what it feels like to suffer. And if I am a cow or I am a chicken or am I a fish or whatever it is, and I'm in a slaughterhouse, that is suffering that I don't, I could never even fathom. And so I'm not contributing to that. I don't know. That's kind of, that's my case there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, as you're talking, like I'm thinking like, it's so easy, like in today's times to, you know, be like, well, fuck, like the world ends in 40 years. Uh, you know, COVID's killing everybody. Um, you know, everybody's doesn't like this or that. Everybody's Republican and Democrat. Everybody's fighting. And if you are on your phone at midnight lying in bed, you know, reading the news, like that's all you see. And you kind of by default are just always seeing like the worst case scenario, right? And I at least always try to like remind myself that like, although yeah, the world could end in 40 years or whatever the hell like people say is going to happen. Like it also um, might not, you know, and it also might be the best case scenario just as like, like it's just as likely that the best case scenario happens as the worst case scenario happens, you know, like I can't predict the future. So like, I think we, you know, as kind of like a defense mechanism and like a survival mechanism to protect ourselves, we always like hyper focus on the worst case scenario when none of us can predict the future. And there's 99 million other possibilities um, than the worst case scenario we focus on. Um, So the worst case scenario is like, like just mathematically, it's so unlikely it's going to happen, you know? So I try to like, I try to trick myself a little bit on that front. Like this scenario that I'm focusing on right now and ruminating on for the past four hours is so fucking unlikely to actually occur that like the fact that I'm even so worried about it is just like an insane thing to be doing. Yeah. And I think there's a lot, (laughs) I think there's a lot to take away from what you said. I think one of them is the fact that like, especially with COVID, right? Where we are all so isolated and secluded. It's like, it's really important to connect with other people and actually be vulnerable because Mm. I just said what I said, right? And then you responded and said like, anything could happen. We have no idea. The worst worst case could happen. The best case could happen. And I'm not going to worry about it, right? Getting those different perspectives is like so invaluable. Mm. Um, If you think about COVID, it's like, okay, so we're going on two years now, obviously like many parts of the U.S. have reopened or opened up and in Massachusetts, you can go to the bar and restaurants and whatnot. But let's just say those first six months were like almost nobody was leaving the house for a while, right? Or even if we just say like all of 2020. 
when restaurants were still closed, bars were still closed, vaccines weren't out. So people weren't, they, they didn't feel comfortable, that sort of thing. It was like when you are in an isolated environment and you're not regularly having those conversations, those honest conversations of being like, hey, this is how I feel. This is what I deal with. This is what I'm going through. And somebody can give you, you know, hopefully like a trusting uh, conversation where it's like, you know, you and I are friends where it's like, you can say that to me without being like, dude, you're an idiot, you know, or even if you do, it would be like one of those like endearing, like, like kind of things, right? It's like where like people, dudes who are friends tend to like make fun of each other, right? And that's how you know that you're almost like part one of the guys, right? Um, So I think that's a really important thing. I think the other thing too, is just kind of in terms of like, I talk about this in the book is just evolution and how the brain has evolved and how we, uh, you know, grew from, uh, I don't get too much into like the, you know, um, the, the different, what is it like homo sapiens and, uh, 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 Neanderthal, like all the different, you know, chains or like, uh, lineages. But I, I do talk about like the evolution of the brain. And, um, and I think one thing that's important is like, in some ways, like the, the, the mechanisms in our mind that default to anxiety and depression, like those things were meant to help us survive in a different time, uh, in a totally different history and a totally different landscape. Right. So it's like when you were in the jungle and you, and this was obviously 50,000 years ago or whatever, it's like when you're in the jungle and a lion crosses your path. And I talked about this in the first book and probably the first podcast too, but, but it's like, if that lion crosses your path, the fact that you have really uh, reactive mechanisms in your brain that like, you know, turn on that a- anxiety response, the fight or flight response, like really quickly, that's a great thing. That means you're getting out of that situation before the guy next to you is. When you, when you, you know, develop a lot, like the, for better or for worse, the modern lifestyle that we have created, it's like our brains are still basically the same structures from anywhere from like, like uh, the research basically says our brains haven't evolved in like 30,000 to 100,000 years. And so when we talk about like, you know, ruminating on specific ideas and whatnot, it's like the brain has a negativity bias because it's like, anything that could be dangerous enough to me that it could kill me is something that I want to avoid, right? And so um, in the 50,000 years ago, most of those things were like in the moment physical threats. It was a tiger, it was a bear, it was a lion. And I say say that sometimes and do the whole lions and tigers and bears, whatever. But um, so uh, that was a very useful thing, right? Today, when it's like the things that scare us are like, again, it's, uh, you know, an article that we read online, an idea we get into our head or whatever. They're not really actionable things in the moment. That makes it so that like we've created this like strange interaction where like our brains are not suited to this material. And that's why we get these different experiences in our life. It's like, you know, we used to be anxious when we approached somebody. And I mean, obviously there's the whole, like, even today, it's like you go approach somebody at the bar, that person could reject you or whatever, but it's like, Back in the day, 50,000 years ago, if somebody rejected you from a small tribe of people in the wild, that meant you're out on your own in the Amazon and you're dead. And today, it, it, like we still have that physical and emotional response inside of us, but it doesn't mean the same exact thing. And so that disparity makes us feel like, oh my God, like I don't know what to do with this experience. Like why, you know, why am I so afraid, so anxious when like I'm just going to, you know, go to an interview or a, a date or something like that. And it's like, if we really knew like, okay, I'm about to be in front of a bear. We'd be like, yeah, I, I understand why I'm totally like freaked out about this. Or, you know, if, if um, me being uh, isolated or excommunicated from my tribe were totally on the line right now, I would be really, really afraid of that. It would be easy for us, easier for us to justify these things. Whereas now it's like the reason, I, one of the reasons why I think anxiety and depression run rampant is like 
our brains just don't really respond very well to the stimuli, the stimuli that are in our environment. We don't know how to make as much sense of them. We don't know how to act on them. Uh, that discrepancy leads to a lot of weird feelings. And then we perpetuate them uh, through our thoughts, right? It's like that negativity bias of, I got to focus on this one thing and I got to get rid of it right now. Um, that it, when we can't actually get rid of it, that's what leads to a lot of uh, the mental illnesses that we face. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little long winded on this entire podcast, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's helpful. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I think like to that point, like that's why I always like the default back to like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like this is how your body's designed to react. I know you have anxiety over this thing or your you know, all tense about this or whatever. It's like, okay, like you need to understand like your body's designed to do that. There's nothing broken or wrong with you. Like that's how the system is set up. And, you know, there's things we can do to kind of bring yourself back to a good place versus like, you know, bam, you know, you're, you're fucked up. Like you're, you're freaked out about this when like, you know, a normal person that doesn't have, have depression isn't freaked out about it, you know? So I just love like exactly what you're saying. Like, no, your body's just working how it's totally designed to like, you know, and we just need to like figure out some tools to, you know, better cope with it, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely like your approaches. I think you have, you bring a lot of optimism, which is great. And, um, I think, (laughs) you know, kind of the combining the two sides of this conversation, right? I think folks can take a lot away from that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The other thing uh, I love that you said um, that I think is important is like, I love the advice of, I forget where like I first heard it, but where you should, you know, position yourself as if you're like your close buddy talking to you, right? Like you're over there, like, you know, ruminating in your head on something or like down on yourself or pissed at yourself or something. And it's almost like, like, what would you say to me if I was in the same position? Like, that's how you should react to yourself. And like, totally not agree. having, not having like the uh, friends around all the time because of the world we've been living in, like that isn't there as much. Um, so I think that's like a, a cool tool I've heard as well, where it's like, react the way your best friend would react to you. Treat yourself yeah, that I, way. I definitely love that. And I think just like a... I don't know, a caveat or whatever is like, even as we come out of COVID, it's important to seek that out. Like, it's going to feel as though like, hey, like, you know, the world's getting back to normal. We're all like interacting again or whatever, right? But it's like, the world is, is actually going to be a different place when it's reopened. And I think one of the biggest changes, and it's not like it came overnight or anything like that, but we spend so much time on our phones, right? Where it's like, we may say to ourselves like, oh, I I don't need to go hang out with so-and-so because I was texting them all day or whatever, right? It's like the digital conversations and interactions we have do not take the place. They are not the same as in-person, you know, for lack of a better word, like an emotional connection with somebody, right? Like even if it's just like, hey, this is how I'm feeling right now and I want to express that, like that kind of emotion, right? We still need to seek those things out because you obviously you could text somebody and be like, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. You know, can you respond to me? Or like, basically I'm trying to get your feedback. Those things just come much more naturally in, in a face-to-face conversation. And I think uh, if nothing else, if all you can do is zoom, then I think, or do a video conference, right. It's like, that is going to go a lot longer of a way than being like, Oh, I, I Facebook messaged that person or something. Right. It's just the, the, 
it's not anyone's fault. It's just those mediums tend to be a little bit more superficial, right? And we want to get those, we want those pithy conversations of like, I'm sitting down, I'm describing how I'm feeling. There's trust because we're in the same room. Uh, you're my friend, that sort of thing. So just, just kind of want to put an asterisk on that one and be like, I totally agree with you, but we still have to go out of the way to get it. Mm, totally. Totally. All right. So let's get, I know we've been like dancing around a lot of them. Uh, but can we kind of get into um, some things we can do, actionable things, um, if there's ones we haven't specifically talked about that if somebody is in a depressive state that they can act on and tools to help them? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'll give the framework of the book itself, right? Which is like, uh, or the framework upon which the book was written. So there's this this model in, um, I don't know, the medical world, uh, and it's so there are different ways that people classify diseases or say where they come from, right? So one of one of these models that says like, hey, this is uh, the process by which diseases arise uh, is called the biopsychosocial model, and so essentially it's it says that like uh, if you if you take it that that's a uh, what's the word for that? It's like a portmanteau or something like that. Basically, a, an amalgamation of three different words put into one, right? So it's like biopsychosocial is like biological, psychological, and social. And so what I wanted to do was rather than like take a really pinpointed approach or anything like that in this book, I wanted to say like, hey, what we do in our current medical model, like the, the way that the world currently operates, this is how we say that we treat depression, or this is how we look at depression. We basically say, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to like preface this by saying like, I think medication is awesome. Like if you, if, if you, t- if you take it, if you, if your doctor tells you to take it, you should take it. And if it works, you should continue to take it. If it doesn't work, you should tell your doctor about it. I think it can be an invaluable tool, a life-saving tool. Um, and that is that at the same time, the way that we treat depression right now is basically like, so, um, it's basically a one-way street. We say, okay, get into the doctor's office. Tell me that you're depressed. I'll give you these pills. Take the pills. See if you feel better, right? When we all know that there are so many things that come together and collide to create the experience that we understand as depression, right? So it's like, I again, I'm not, I'm, I don't ever want this conversation anyone to to make uh, to think that I'm saying that medication is not helpful or I'm pushing it back against it or anything like that. I'm 100% not. All I'm saying is that when you overlook the other things that you could do at the same time to help yourself out, you're cutting yourself out off from a lot of uh, really helpful possibilities. And so when we look at the biopsychosocial model, what we're basically saying is there are three like general categories from which, um, you know, mental illnesses can arise. So there's, there's the biological side of things, right? Like if you have a, a literal neurotransmitter issue or something like that, uh, that would be something that's, that's biological, right? Psychological would be like, how are you thinking? What are your beliefs? Uh, what are you saying to yourself on a daily basis? Social is kind of everything else. It's almost like this, this like catch all bucket, right? So it's like, if you don't like your job, you don't like your friends, if you're not in the right city or environment, and you're not connecting with other people, uh, you don't like your overall lot in life, your situation or whatever, like, I mean, it's again, it's one of those things where it's like talking to a good friend, right? It's like, I remember watching, uh, and again, I, I jump around a lot, but uh, I remember watching this movie in college. I took this psychology course on happiness. I can't remember what actor it was, but he was in it. And he was like, it was one of those statements where it was, he was like, if you don't like your job and you're not having sex, you are probably not going to be happy. And obviously there's more to it than that. But like, I come back to that all the time and I'm like, damn it, that dude was right. You know? Um, so it's like, we have these three different um, buckets, if you will. Uh, that all overlap. So it's like basically uh, in the, it, it's kind of like if you take like if you only focus on one of them, you're only get like 
there's a synergy that that comes together when you focus on two or more of these dif- different spheres, right? So if we're just focusing on like you know the biological side of things, where is basically we're taking medication, um, and we're not we're not like looking at how we think and what we believe, and we're not like analyzing our social connections and you know where we go every day and how we spend our time, um, then we're not creating that synergy, uh, getting ourselves even more help. So the overall idea of the book was I wanted to look at all three of these different things and then say like, hey, reader, like pick out you know, the ones from each category that resonate most with you, sort of like I did in the first book, uh, and then put those in, in practice in your daily life, right? So when we, when we look at the biological side of things, there's, uh, there, I want to say there's like four key things that I talk about in the book. There are, there, I mean, there's a lot of them that we could cover, right? But uh, what, the point that I wanted to make was that even though medication can be an amazing tool, it is not the only way that we can approach like the bio, uh, the biological sphere of depression or the biological aspect of depression, right? So it's like medication is one of those ways. Um, you can do deep breathing that, you know, that's obviously not the same as medication, but it is a way to change your physiology and potentially, uh, change your, your mental state, right? Um, exercising actually is like, I mean, none of these are going to be total, total rocket science, but like there are countless studies out there that basically say that, uh, regular exercise or being on an exercise plan can be just as effective in the treatment of depression as, uh, psychiatric medication. So I think that's really important. It's like, you know, and I'm not saying like, just because it's as important, like ditch the other one. I'm like, let's get all these going, right? Let, let's get the synergy as high as we can. Um, if that makes sense for you, right? Obviously. Um, so that, that, like, that's another one, um, you know, folks will talk about like omega-3 supplementation, basically saying that like, we don't, you know, our brains are like mostly fat, right? And our, our diets are heavy in omega-6s, omega-9s, I believe, uh, but not enough omega-3. And that's like a you know, I'm not a scientist nutritionist here, but like it's a, a critical component for like good brain health and uh, good mental health. And so it's like there are, there are papers out there that basically suggest that, uh, you know, for a bunch of technical reasons, if we take omega-3 supplements, like it can really help uh, with our, uh, you know, cognitive capacities, but also our mental health. Uh, Dr. Andrew Weil is actually uh, someone who talks a lot about that on his podcast. So I think that's an important one. Uh, there is a there's a, there are some small studies out there uh, that that actually say that cold showers can be helpful in the treatment of depression. And it's basically like um, the idea is, you know, talking about evolutionary psychology and whatnot. It's like we have, um, we, if we look back, like however many thousands of years, our ancestors used to like, so the way, way our brains uh, were constructed and our nerves and all that, right? It's like in one way or another, a lot of the things that we drive to do, you know, we are driven to find happiness. We are driven to reproduce and whatnot because it's like some biological wiring, right? Within us, right? It's, in some ways, it's like, I'm not really making the call here that I want to have kids. Like it's it's built into me, you know what I mean? Um, and so uh, the the research on cold showers basically says that like, when we went, uh, when, you know, 50,000 years ago, when our ancestors were trying to get out of harm's way and, and uh, perpetuate their survival and whatnot, they had to undergo like, um, you know, some stressors. And so it's like, uh, that, that's one of the reasons why we, why we like to exercise. It's one of the reasons why uh, it can be beneficial to take a cold shower is basically it's our internal uh, wiring saying to us like, uh, so uh, again, 50,000 years ago, right? Our ancestors jump into a cold body of water to hunt fish. And so you do that over a long enough period, like a really long period of time, and possibly the brain rewires itself to say, okay, I go into a cold body of water, I am finding fish, you know, it's got the omega-3 fatty acids 
fish are a good source of that. Um, again, not saying whether you, it's your choice if you want to eat those things or not. You can also get vegan um, versions of omega-3. It's up to you. Uh, but so like over time, the brain could reconstruct itself. And the, the research suggests that this is probably, you know, this is likely the way that it went was like the brain says, hey, I know that I'm perpetuating my survival by like, you know, jumping into a cold body of water to evade a predator, uh, to do the same thing, to uh, get a fish, to eat. And so it's like our brains are wired to do these things that perpetuate our survival. And so today, even though it's a totally, totally different ball game, when we jump into a cold shower, um, like our skin, basically there's these receptors on them that uh, send electro, uh, uh, electric impulses to our brains and create a an, uh, slightly antidepressive uh, experience or effect. Uh, so uh, that, that one's kind of technical. I don't know if I explained it perfectly, but basically like there is some science out there that says, you know, for one reason or another, a lot of it being uh, tied to evolution that you get into a cold shower, uh, your brain is going to respond to that in a positive fashion and, you know, potentially uh, help out with your mental health, help you feel a little bit better. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones like those. That's the stuff on the biological side. I think um, before I, you know, before I keep rambling, is there anything you want to like anything you had in mind when, when you asked the question or anything you want to cover? I don't think so. I think that was, that was good. And I think like the way I talk about those things are like, I like the term like state change, you know? Um, and I like, like for me, you know, sitting here, um, with COVID, you know, day seven or day eight of COVID, right. Probably the longest period of time I've gone without, my normal workouts, um, in, in pro honestly, probably a decade, right? Wow. Like, so I have had like this, this week of like very little movement, right? And I am worrying more. I'm not myself. Like, I'm just a big believer in like, like my normal day, right? It's like, okay, wake up, work out. That's a state change. I feel good after that. That carries a few more hours. Deep breathing. All right, that's another state change, right? That carries another few hours, right? Um, all right, you know, hang out with my girlfriend, another state change, like, you know, interaction with a human, right? They, like, my day is normally filled with all these things that, like, create these feel-good state changes. And, like, I feel like the, the cold shower is the same thing, where it's like, okay, you did something hard, there's an accomplished feeling to that. Like you, you stayed in that cold shower for 45 seconds. Like there's a feeling that comes with that, but then there's also the, the physical state change that that cold brought. And then there's the feeling that comes after that where, you know, you're having your cup of tea on the couch after the cold shower and you're banging out work and you have a fresher mindset. Right. And it's like, okay, that's another state change. And then like, and if you're continuously, you know, doing those like positive state changes, it's super hard in my experience to be down and, and to have anxiety and to uh, be stressed and um, in, in a depressive state. And um, I just noticed that so much, especially, you know, now being in this scenario where I've, you know, I've been doing some of that, but certainly not the exercise, which is like one of my biggest ones. Um, and I'm, I'm a whole different person. I, I honestly, I'm like this week I've been like, man, I'm fucking useless. Like, like I'm not getting anything done. Like I'm so used to like performing at a certain level and being, you know, so excited about doing all the things I am. And the only reason I, I don't feel that way is because like movement is not in there. So I think like to me, 
a lot of it's like really obvious, you know, but then I also don't like, I've never, I, I can't say I've ever been like depressed either. So like, I don't, uh, I don't know everybody's experience, but I do know that when I am doing these physical things that you're talking about, like, you know, depression doesn't stand a damn chance in my life, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, so it was funny cause I was talking about some of the strategies and, um, the interesting thing about this book is like, it's less in the moment, right? Like when you are, when you are anxious right then and there, it's like, that is a, um, I mean, anxiety is a state. Depression is also a state, but anxiety is something that like, just by definition, like we can't, it's, it's much harder to be anxious 24 hours a day than it is to be depressed 24 hours a day. Just like scientifically speaking. Mm. And also like, like your fight or flight system, if that thing's running 24 hours a day, you're in big, big trouble. Right. Yeah. You're so, dead. <laughs> yeah. You're in trouble. So uh, it was interesting. Like the ideas that I was throwing out there, those are like, I kind of put them at the back of the book, which was basically like, Hey, here are some in the moment, like kind of quick ways uh, that we can try to escape despair. Right. The, the book itself is a little bit more high level in long term, in the sense that like I talk about going back to that biopsychosocial model. It's like the reason why depression can be difficult to recover from or could take a long time. Right. Is like, um, we have the biological part of our lives, the psychological, the social part of our lives, right? If where we want to be in each of those aspects is much further down or like lower than we would like to be, if, um, it, we have to go and rebuild all of those worlds, right? And that can take some mm. time. And so it's like, that's not going to happen with just one cold shower, even though it might help us feel a little bit better for, for a little while. Um, so it's like, you know, biologically speaking, if I'm o- overweight, out of shape, whatever, like, for one reason or another, that's going to take me a while to improve how I look and feel, right? Uh, psychologically, like it can take time to retrain your brain, to carve up, you know, they say like uh, neurons that wire together, uh, fi- uh, excuse me, fire together, wire together. It's like, if we've been firing those neurons with the same, you know, thought patterns our entire lives, it is going to take a little while to rewire some of those things. So that that could take time as well. And then on the social side, it's like, if you don't like your job, if you're not in the right relationship, if you don't like your friends, those things can take time too. But I wanted to put out this message of like, to folks like of hope, right? It's like, just because those things can take time, like that doesn't mean that like, you know, this isn't a recursive uh, depression battle where it's like, oh, well, I'm depressed and they're going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time to get out of it. So I'm even more depressed now, right? That is not the message that I was putting forth. Um, I just, I don't know, I kind of wanted to, to, to put yeah, that yeah. out there and then bringing it back to what you said, which was awesome, which you were like, you know, uh, you know, state changes, right? So I come from the computer science side of things. Like I, you know, studied computer science in college. I'm a software developer by trade. Uh, there is the concept that I probably talked about on the first episode that we did together. And if I didn't, I'll just do a quick uh, recap, but it's like basically in computer science, there's this, this term called state management. And it's basically like the best, like the, the, I will try to describe it very simply, right? Is like, if we are coding something that represents like a real world object, we have to say like that thing can go into and out of these different states. So if we were like, you know, doing the, the uh, software, if we were coding up the representation of a laptop, right? We would say like the laptop could be in the out of battery state. It could be in the, uh, the turned on state. It could be in the turned off state where it has battery, but like we turned off the computer or whatever, right? So let's just say those three basic states. Um, if we were to write a state machine, we'd first have to figure out what those states are. Then we would have to figure out how the the actual like program itself functions in each of those states. And then lastly, we want to figure out what we need to do to move from one of those states to the other. So in the mental health realm, I try to use that that basic concept to say like, 
there are things that we can do when we are in an anxious state. There are things that we can do when we are in a depressed state to move from you know, those feelings of despair or negativity or fear or whatever it is over to a, a different state, something that, that's positive, hopeful, helpful, whatever, right? So that's something that I talk about a lot uh, in book one and book two as well. Um, I, th- I, I don't know. I think that's really important. I think that that one's critical too. Um, and then I guess the, the last thing I kind of wanted like, to talk about, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I, a lot of stuff in this book is, um, it is, it's again, it's a little bit higher level, right? So like two concepts, I guess we'll touch upon real quickly. Like the first one is balance. Um, so it's like going back to those three spheres, right? Biological, psychological, social. Um, if, if we are not where we want to be in all three of those areas, or one of those is like way off kilter, like there is a, there's a greater likelihood that we may fall into depression, right? So it's this idea of like finding balance in our lives. Like, you know, and again, it's not rocket science, but then a lot of folks will have been through something like this before or whatever, but it's like, you know, if you go like a hundred percent on your career, uh, the next, you know, it could be a couple of years later that you wake up and you realize like, I didn't focus on my physical health. I didn't focus on expanding my relationships. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't, connect with somebody and make like a, you know, I didn't get into a, a, an intimate relationship or have a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is like. And so it's like, you may feel really good about your career, but like the other things being out of whack in your life can make you like have this moment where you're like, Oh crap. Like I'm unhappy because I'm not where I want to be because I went all in on, on one specific thing. Right. So that's, that's a high level that I thing that I talk about. Um, another uh, kind of counterintuitive thing that I talk about in the book that I think, um, it goes along with what we've talked about in this conversation is like, depression. So uh, it's the idea that like suffering in life is inevitable in some capacity. And I don't, that is not meant to be like, oh, like you're doomed or whatever, right? It's, it's really meant to be like, you know, we think sometimes we think to ourselves, I want to make $10 million. I want to go sit on a, a beach for the rest of my life with a drink in hand, and I will be totally happy for the rest of my life. One way or another, like in and maybe there's somebody out there who would be happy doing that. I don't know. But I, I can tell you that after maybe like four days of doing that, I would go crazy. Um, and so it's like, no matter what you, the, the, the concept is basically no matter what you do in your life, that you will experience some form of suffering. Obviously, not all, not all kinds of suffering are the same. Some are good, some are bad, some are better, some are worse. Um, but the idea was basically like to take on the empowering kinds of suffering in an effort to push off the disempowering, um, the agonizing ones. So like the best example that I can give, right. If we're talking about physical activity is we may say to ourselves like, Hey, you know what? I think I'd be so much happier if I just slept in every day. If I ate all those foods that I really want to eat, I ate the donuts, I ate the pasta, whatever, right. Um, the fatty foods, the, the, the indulgences, um, we may say that to ourselves. And then like six months later, we may wake up and be like, I'm fat, unhappy, out of shape. And I have no money left because I spent all my money on those like, you know, cool donuts down the street or whatever it is. And so uh, the idea is basically like, you know, kind of taking uh, the concept of balance in as well. It's like, I, I'm not trying to say to folks like, you know, be super, super disciplined, only eat carrots and celery and whatever. It's like, you know, lean into the, the empowering forms of suffering. So those are like eating clean, eating healthy, eating well, um, getting enough sleep, going, you know, to difficult workouts and like pushing yourself through physical activity, having challenging conversations with people, like the ones that you know, you need to have, not like just for no reason, but if it's like, Hey, I need to have a conversation with my friend about a specific topic. Like if they, you know, have a drug or gambling problem, like it's like, I know I need to sit down and that, that is a form of suffering. Like, right? To, to go through that conversation, um, that is going to be uncomfortable. But the, the alternative of it is like, if I don't have that conversation, I am foregoing the suffering right 
now, but how big and bad will the suffering be if the problem that that person is having blows, you know, blows itself out of proportion and all of a sudden that person is in rehab. Um, they go to, they, they have to, they lose all their money. They go to gamblers anonymous, God forbid something really bad happens to them. They pass away or whatever. Like think about the suffering associated with that. And so, um, I know again, this is another high level topic, but how I was connecting this one to depression and this is its own chapter in the book was basically like, there are things that we can't like, um, so basically it's like, you know, going back to the example is, um, if we are like, if we say to ourselves, like, I know that in order to be happy or, or at the very least, like in order to be where I want to be in life, it's going to require some amount of suffering, right? Like going to the gym every day and pushing ourselves that is some form of suffering, right? It's an empowering and it's a good one, but it is suffering. If given the choice, I think most people, maybe not most people, but I think it's, you know, at the, at the surface level, just thinking about like, what would I rather do right now? Not thinking about the ramifications. It's like, I'd probably rather sit on the couch than go to the gym and do like a CrossFit workout, right? But when you add up like all the foregoing of those little and empowering forms of suffering um, and then expand upon them for a long enough period of time, it's like, you can you could see a world in which, you find a different form of suffering. And that is some of the things I just talked about as well as depression, right? It's like, if I wake up six months from tomorrow and I'm like, I have no money, I'm fat, I'm out of shape, whatever it is. I'm not, uh, I don't like my job. I don't, I don't like my friends. I don't, whatever. It's like, because I, I, because I decided to, you know, issue all those important and small versions of pushing myself into uncomfortable situations, I now find myself, myself smack dab in the middle of this really, uh, I forget, I don't know if I messed up a word there, but uh, I, you know, because I avoided all those uncomfortable situations, I think was what I meant to say if I didn't say that. I now find myself in the middle of a really uncomfortable situation. And it's the despair associated with like not being anywhere near where I want to be in life, if that makes sense. So again, uh, I ramble on these ones, but that, that was what I wanted to say with that one. So. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I think I heard as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, somebody gave me the definition of unhappiness as the desire for things to be the way they aren't. So, so basically, basically like wanting right now something in your life to be the way that it is not currently. So it's like that pull between here's, here's what my life is right now and I want it to be this thing, right? And there's that like pull against each other where like you're never like content with like the reality of what your life is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a very like Buddhist way of looking at the world, but it's, it's important. Right. And again, striking that balance of like, ideally you would like to be happy with or content with where you are right now, but you also need something to pull you forward a little bit. Right. Exactly. So it's like, I like the work I'm doing today. I like the conversations I'm having today, but I'm I'm also looking forward to where I'm going tomorrow, like a healthy balance between the two. When those two things, um, excuse me, when those fall out of line with one another, that's when we can, uh, we can run into trouble. So. Yeah. Blissful dissatisfaction is the term I've heard where it's like, you're, you're, you're happy with where you are. You're grateful for where you are, but you are not satisfied with where you are. You know, I like that. You can I be like both that. happy and very driven, obviously is kind of the. Yeah. And I guess one, one last thing there, right. Is like, um, from a very high, like philosophical point of view, if you ran out of things to pursue and you ran out of challenges to undertake, do you know how miserable you would be in like a week? Totally. Totally. Just food for thought, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I also think on that note, not to, not to keep going. I know we're going super long, but, um, Oh, it's fine. Like the, the, on suffering, right. There's like this idea that, you know, suffering and pain and, you know, uh, sadness and all the, all these kind of feelings that we call like bad, right. Or we have like negative connotations with, um, there's this idea that like, we're not supposed to, experience those like if we're a happy person like if we're if we're not uh if we're a regular non-depressed person like those aren't supposed to be like part of the human experience those aren't supposed to be like in your life and i think like we need to understand that all those things are totally a part of a normal life and and suffering is a part of being happy and sadness is a part of being happy and, you know, depression even at times is part of lead, leading a balanced, happy life. Uh, but we, you know, put these like negative spins on, on all the emotions that we call negative. And anytime we experience that, we think we're all fucked up and we need a drug versus like acknowledging, no, this is just part of the whole bigger picture of leading a balanced, happy life, you know? De definitely. And I think that's another place where like the media can get us in trouble, right? It's, mm. it's not really anyone's fault in particular, but you watch these movies where we see these characters where we're like, oh yeah, like happily ever after or whatever, right? Like I'm just going to be happy for the rest of my life. Like those are some of the ideals that we aspire to. But like, if you really sit down and talk with the psychologist, they will tell you like in the quest for a happy life. And even as you just mentioned, it's like in leading a happy life, even when you are happy, like negative emotions are part of the journey and that's how it goes. We're covering a ton, but is there anything like um, with the book or anything like we haven't covered that you want to touch on more that you think might be valuable? how I kind of end these conversations, if, if we are, you know, if we're moving toward the end here is like, I do want to like kind of bring things full circle and kind of just, you know, tell folks it's like one, um, I share my experiences just so that like my, my whole idea is like I write because it helps me make sense of my experiences. And then I also know that in sharing those experiences, they'll be able, like, those things will help other folks. So in having this conversation, in talking about some of the things that I've been through again, like, I just want to stress, like, I don't want to, I don't want it to come off as though like, Oh, Hey, this person, like, you know, this person, like, I don't want to come off as though I'm saying like, my life is difficult and I go through depression and like poor me and whatever. It's like, uh, at the end of the day, depression can like, th this is another thing that like came from the beginning of the conversation, right? It was like the end of the day, depression is depression. Like it is a feeling. Um, and so it's like, if we, um, what, if we, if we feel negative for a really long period of time, like no matter how it manifests, that, that can be depression, right? So it's like, if I experienced depression because my grandmother passed away, somebody else experiences depression because like they, I, 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 I'm going to give examples that might not even make sense. Right. But it's like, they experience depression because they are, they live in like a war zone. Right. And they just don't know if they're going to like survive tomorrow or something like that. Somebody else experiences depression because like they don't know where their next paycheck is going to come from, or they live, um, you know, they don't have job security they They live in a, a, a poverty stricken in, uh, neighborhood or something like that. Like all the different reasons for depression. There are a lot of them. Um, and I think to compare on any, anybody's is, is a, is a bad idea just in the sense that like, 
the, what we want to do is we almost want to boil it down and say, like, we're all dealing with these really difficult and negative emotions, no matter how we come to them. Um, and in some ways that like ties us together, right? It's like, that allows me to say like, Hey, I can understand, even if I don't know the specific subject that you're uh, dealing with, I know the emotions tied to it. And I'm not trying to say that I can totally put myself in your shoes, just that I can like sympathize or empathize with you. Right. And so in this conversation, just, I guess, just kind of remember that if you will. And, um, I think, uh, one last thing tied to that is basically like, you know, we have this conversation, we had some fun, we talked about some cool things and, and whatnot. But like, for those listening, like, you know, if you are struggling, if you are suffering, like, one, know that you're not alone. Two, know that you could always reach out to me. I will always talk to you. Uh, you could reach out to me on social media um, or you could go to my website. My website's getoutofyourhead.com. Uh, reach out to me. Uh, I would I would be more than happy, you know, to to hear your con- hear your story, have a conversation, that sort of thing. And um, you know, sometimes it's like we joke around, we make light of things a little bit, just because it's it's helpful to have a fun conversation and whatnot. Um, but none of this is to like, you know, none of this is to actually make light of the specific subject, right? And so it's like if again, if you're listening and you're suffering please know that you're not alone. Please know that there is help out there uh, that you can get. I mean, if you picked up my book and you liked it, uh, that would be an honor and that would be amazing. But at the same time, like, I just want to see you happy. I just want to see you recover. Um, so however you do that, um, I guess it's up to you. And, um, you know, any, any form or any version of that is, is amazing. And, and I think also the, the last message is like, I wrote the book because I want to give people hope, right? I think there's a lot of things going on in the world for um, like in all different realms of our lives that that make us feel uncertain, that make us feel depressed or uh, hopeless or whatever it is. And I just want people to know that, you know, I am somebody who deals with depression, but right now I'm not depressed and I haven't really experienced a lot of depression in the last, I would say, year and a half. Um, And I think that is like a testament to the fact that, you know, there are folks out there who have dealt with this thing before and you can be one of those folks as well. So know that like, no matter what you're going through, it could pass and and you could get through it uh, and you could get back to a normal lifestyle and like hold on to that hope because that is like, if you lose that, it's like, you don't even have anything left. So it's like, hold on to that. And just remember you, you really could like, and I'm not trying to be like self-helpy, like, you know, cheesy, whatever, but like, hold on to the hope because like you really could get through it. And and I think you will. So that's the message I want to leave folks with, I guess. Yeah, no, that that's beautifully said. And I, and I will ask one more before we go, because you were kind of like hinting at it there when not like comparing like your situation to somebody else's, right? Like, like as you're talking, right? Like in the back of my head, like I'm, I'm like first world problems type thing, right? Where, but do you think that sort of perspective in a more, positive light can be like a, a, a coping mechanism as well, meaning like perspective in general? Like, do you think like, okay, like, you know, I, I'm at home here. I'm, you know, feeling depressed. I, I, you know, I have all these things, but is like perspective a coping mechanism where I, I can say, wait a second, like I live in the United States. Yep. There's a roof over my head. Yup. Like I have heat. Yup. There's food in the fridge. Yup. When I turn on the faucet, there's water that comes out. Yup. I can walk. Yup. Like, like, is that a, not again, not comparing yourself, but is, can that be used as a tool to kind of like bring yourself out of like, wait, am I really in a depressive state? Because like my $60,000 car is, you know, crashed. Like, is that something I should really like 
be different. You know what I mean? Like yeah. not be used as a tool. I think perspective is incredibly valuable. I think what I would say is it is not a strategy that I would want to give to other folks just because I would feel as though like indirectly I am telling them that what they're going through isn't a big deal. But I do think that when folks discover that strategy on their own, I think it can be invaluable. Like I love to use it myself, but I want to be, I want to be respectful of what other folks are dealing with. So like in that regard, I probably like just me, I probably wouldn't give it to someone else, but I, in like, in some situations, I would, I would certainly hope that they find that for themselves. And, you know, I guess the, the final rehash of this is like, even though we conclude that and we say it can be really helpful, it's, it's a balance, right? There are times when it, when it's not helpful, when whatever it is that you're going through isn't a first world problem. And, um, you know, you really do need help or, uh, you, you're not, able to get, again, get out of bed. You feel as though you can't lead the life that, that you normally want to. It's, it's striking a balance between all those things. Uh, core theme in the book, one that I think most folks will find when they read it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, perspective is great and I love it, but, uh, it just depends on the situation, right? Mm, Yeah. I love it, man. Well, I think we, we covered an absolute ton there and, um, a pleasure as always. And we'll leave uh, links to the book, of course, and uh, to your website and all that good stuff. And um, yeah, man, congrats, congrats on another one. Um, I know, like I said, the first episode we did was, uh, um, was awesome. And people, I, I definitely got messages on that one way back when we did it. And um, yeah, this one, this one I'm sure will be just as good. And uh, yeah, congrats on everything, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, I guess, you know, Again, I do these things to, to help folks. So I really hope that, you know, I, I don't, it's not like, hey, let's do tons of downloads because it'll be cool for me. It's like, I want folks to pick up this podcast. I hope it resonates with them. And if they pick up the book, that's great. But like, I just want them to find hope and help and get through whatever they're, they're going through. So. All right, man. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome.